And welcome everybody to tonight's satsang. <clears throat> I always like to begin my programs by remembering my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began all his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varasanmane Kesat Pem Sayardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that the form of God that he worshipped was the human form. And to welcome another person was his devotion. To welcome another person with love is spirituality. And so in that spirit, I want to welcome you all to satsang. Um, and at the end of the program, I'll welcome everybody. But a special guest tonight from India, my dear old friend Swami Brahmananda, uh, and also Sandeep and Nisha. And I don't know if Sudarshan is there, but I welcome you all. They're all part of the uh, VBT program that we're embarking on in India. Wonderful program of second education, of spiritual education, of meditation, of uh, self-inquiry, uh, based on, inspired by the great text, the Vijnana Bhairava uh, Tantra, which is a compendium of uh, 112 different techniques of meditation. So uh, welcome to you. <clears throat> and tonight uh, I'm continuing my ongoing and uh, semi-eternal uh, program uh, which I call The Great Beings. As far as I'm concerned, uh, the greatest uh, resource that humanity has is its great beings. Now, I didn't know that when I grew up. I didn't know that uh, such things existed. Maybe, maybe they existed a couple of thousand years ago, but I didn't know that they were here and now. Well, it turns out that great beings have always existed, uh, and they exist in the present time, and they are the resource that allows us to advance spiritually, to know ourselves, to conquer the suffering of life, and to come in touch with reality, higher consciousness, call it God, call it consciousness, call it the inner self. Uh, and it's through their grace and their teaching that we can do that. Um, they're essentially esoteric or hidden from most people, but uh, eventually uh, on our journey we discover that they exist, and I discovered that many years ago, and when I found out that they exist, I wanted to go and sit at the feet of one and learn from one. And it's exactly what happened. So I always honor the great beings, the great realizers, the great siddhas, the enlightened beings of all traditions. Um, <clears throat> and so I do these programs based on their teachings. And tonight, uh, the great being tonight is this one. <clears throat> I, I saw Girish uh, moving to the back. I didn't know he'd get there to turn it on, but he managed. <laughs> because somebody else turned it on. So this is Sri Aurobindo. <clears throat> the, he's a 20th century sage, very impressive person of great intellect, great accomplishments in many fields, and a great yogi. Uh, interesting life. He was born in 1872 in Calcutta, he died in Pondicherry in South India in 1950. 
Um, his, he came from an upper-class uh, Hindu family who were very uh, smitten by the English, and the father sent him for an English education, sent him to England, uh, and uh, he went to uh, Cambridge, and he got a bachelor's degree in classics. So he wasn't interested in, in the traditional Indian education. He got Greek and Latin and, and Western education. Uh, and then he came back to India. Uh, and then he got involved in the Indian liberation movement. Uh, very much involved, along with his brother and others there. Uh, <clears throat> and for, this was around uh, 1900, 1910, somewhere in that area. Uh, and then he got involved in some events and eventually spent some time in jail for his uh, revolutionary activity. And it was in jail that he encountered a yogi. I don't know why yogis were in jail. I still haven't figured that out, but maybe they all should be. But... Uh, uh, he, he, he encountered the teachings of a yogi, and he started to practice while he was in jail. You know, every time Baba spoke to a prison, prison project, you know, the people in prison, he'd say, you people have very good opportunity to meditate in there. So anyway, uh, Aurobindo started to meditate, and he became awakened, he became spiritual. And when he got out of jail, he gave up uh, uh, his revolutionary activities, and he went to Pondicherry and he founded an ashram and started to meditate deeply and teach others. Then uh, sometime in the, in the 20s, uh, Mira Richard, a French woman, joined him in 1920 and became his spiritual partner, hence called uh, the mother. Um, let's see, do I have other pictures of Orbindo? A young... There's the young Orbindo, uh, possibly writing a, a political tract or possibly having become a yogi, but there he is. And what else do you have? And this is late in life, uh, Orbindo and the mother giving darshan. Uh, in the 20s, he became a recluse. He stopped uh, functioning in public, and he stayed in his apartments, and he would only come out once or twice a year to give darshan. But he had a lot of contact with, with uh, his students um, by means of letters. He wrote letters all day long, and they wrote him letters about sadhana. And we're very lucky about that. They were perhaps not lucky not to have his darshan, but we were lucky because we have volumes of interesting letters on sadhana, on spiritual practice. Um, that he produced, and so I'm going to share some of that, that tonight. And his ashram still there. The mother uh, lived to a very ripe age. She died in 1950. She, she was still alive when I was in Ganeshpuri in her 90s, and the ashram's still going on there. So these are letters from Aurobindo to disciples who were living in the ashram about various aspects of sadhana. And he was a very practical yogi, and his writings on sadhana are very interesting. <clears throat> so, this one, uh, Aurobindo is exasperated by a willful disciple. That never happens anywhere else. But <clears throat> Aurobindo writes him, imagine yourself 
uh, receiving a letter like this. Uh, well, this is not bad, really. He says, I told you, you are not to try to decide by your mind. Obviously, the disciples filled with, you know, sometimes we get to this situation of indecision. We don't know which way to go. Orbindo says, you persistently go on repeating, I must decide, I must decide, I must take a decision, I must make a resolution. You're always repeating this, I, I must decide. If you knew better than myself and the mother, as if you knew better than myself and the mother, I must understand, I must decide. And always you find that your mind can decide nothing and understand nothing. And yet you go on repeating the same falsehood. He's a bit angry at him, isn't he? <clears throat> so the question is, one of the questions is, how does one make a decision? How does a normal person make a decision? And how does a yogi make a decision? A normal person sometimes makes an intellectual decision, sometimes makes an emotional decision. Um, but a yogi tries to get in touch with a higher uh, criterion, the divine criterion through inner means. Orbindo goes on. The only experience you need is the experience of the presence of the mother, the mother's light, the mother's force. He's not speaking personally of the uh, mirror, the mother mirror that he had, uh, but of the divine mother. We would call this the shakti, the divine force, because there exists within the world and within everyone a divine power that once you're awakened to it, you come in touch with that, and that can be your guide from that point on. So he says, the only thing you need is to be in touch with this higher power, the divine force. <clears throat> the mother's light, the mother's force, and the change they bring in you, the shakti. You have to throw away any other influences and open yourself only to the shakti, to the mother's influence. You have to think and talk no longer about energies flowing out and your energies and others' energies. <laughs> the only energy you have to feel is the descent and flow and action of the mother's force. Very interesting statement. I hear it a lot. We hear it a lot. Um, people complain, this person did this to me, that person did that to me. Their energy is affecting me. This is the problem and so on. And Aurobindo says, Stop talking about that. That's not the point. The point is connecting to the Shakti. You're looking in the wrong direction to the, the impediments. You have to look to how, how can I increase my connection to that higher power? And he goes on, Sri Aurobindo says, these were my instructions, and so long as you carry them out, you are progressing rapidly. You have to, the only energy you have to feel, he says, is the descent and flow and action of the higher power, the Shakti. <clears throat> Throw out all these incoherent false experiences. Go back to the single rule I gave you. Open to the mother's presence, the influence, the light, the force. He's saying open to the power of the guru, power of the inner self, power of the divine, power of the shakti. Reject everything else. It's a very good exercise several times a day. You check in 
to that higher power. Go inside yourself and connect to it. I mentioned the Vigyan Bhairava. Vigyan Bhairava is a handbook of connections, connecting to that higher power. It shows a million different ways to connect to that power. It uses the method of the dharana, the short pointed meditation where you try to connect to it. So let's, let's do one now. It's, not, it's based on the, in the spirit of the Vigyan Bhairava. Um, so Aurobindo is saying we should connect to that higher power. So what, however you conceive of the higher power, as a force, as a light, as a love, even as a, a being, a person or a deity, right now inside yourself, connect with that in any way that you feel and see if you get a response, a vibration, a connection. So just do that, let's do that for a moment. This is a dharana. Okay, that's good enough. Did anybody uh, make a successful, a successful connection? Raise your hand if you had some kind of response from that. That's very good, very good. Sri <clears throat> uh, Aurobindo says, only so will you get back clearness instead of confusion, peace, psychic perception, and progress in sadhana. Bhagavan Nityananda said it this way, Bhagavan, uh, Bhavana Rako, keep the feeling. He meant connect, keep connecting again and again and again, connect to that space inside that you know to be the higher power, that higher energy. Keep connecting with it. Another one. <clears throat> this is, uh, in, in this one, Norbindo describes his yoga which he calls integral yoga. And by integral he means it's not just the yoga of the heart, not just the yoga of the mind, not just the yoga of the body, but the yoga of the heart, mind, and body. It's integral, it's integrated. So Aurobindo writes one of his students, uh, this is not a yoga of bhakti alone. It's not just devotional. Um, it is, or at least claims to be, an integral yoga. That is a turning of all our being in all its parts to the divine. It follows that there must be knowledge and works as well as bhakti. And in addition, it includes a total change of the nature, a seeking for perfection, that one's nature may also become one with the nature of the divine. So it's not just the, the emotions, they have to be refined. The mind has to be expanded and grown and clarified. And the body must also be included. Actions or service must be included. And all these things together uh, connect us to the divine. Uh, and finally, in Shaivite terms, leads to Shiva Samavesha, which is the oneness with Shiva, oneness with the, the divine. Sri Aurobindo says, it's not only the heart that has to turn to the divine and change, but the mind also. So knowledge is necessary, and the will and power of action and creation also. So works too are necessary, karma yoga, service, 
You have to work with your body, too, in the right direction. He goes on, in this yoga, the methods of other yogas are taken up, like the yoga of the Purusha Prakriti. I think that he's talking about the Samkhya yoga, where uh, Purusha is the self and Prakriti is the object, the subject and the object. He says, uh, it's like the yoga of the Samkhya, but with a reference to the final object. Purusha separates from Prakriti. In Samkhya, the, uh, the self separates from nature and goes into itself and separates completely from life. Um, not in order to abandon her. That's what Samkhya does. It abandons nature. Get it, gets it away from me. I don't want any part of it. But in order to know himself and her and no longer be her plaything, but her knower, lord, and her upholder. So it's more integrated with nature. It's not a rejection. Uh, but having become so, even in becoming one, one offers all of that to the divine. Then he goes on. One may begin with knowledge, or with works, or with devotion, or with tapasya, or self-purification for perfection. So another kind of yoga, raja yoga, where one does intense tapasya, or practice. Um, like Patanjali's yoga, and develop the rest as a subsequent movement, or one may combine all in one movement. There's no single rule for all. It depends on one's personality and one's nature. Surrender is the main power of our yoga, and surrender is found to be progressive. A complete surrender is not possible in the beginning. Something to know. It's a gradual thing to learn to surrender. What is surrender? Surrender means letting go of separative tendencies into the divine. To really connect to that higher power, we have to empty ourselves of egoistic uh, movements. And to do that, we have to let them go. That doesn't happen overnight. We have to let them go gradually, just by through practice, through daily meditation, through uh, association, satsang, and through contemplation. He says... <clears throat> a complete surrender is not possible in the beginning, but only a will in the being for that completeness. The scriptures call this mumakshutva, a desire for liberation, a will to have that completeness. In fact, it takes time. All right, let's do a little dharana, since uh, the Vigyan Bhairava is with me tonight. Uh, let's do a little dharana on mumakshutva. Everybody in this room and everybody watching uh, has an urge to know the self. That goes without saying. You wouldn't be doing this. Uh, there's a lot of good things on Netflix. So you wouldn't be doing this if, um, if you weren't interested in that. And that means that you have mumakshutva. You have a desire for liberation. But sometimes that desire for liberation gets obscured and it falls asleep. Sometimes we, we willfully put it to sleep because it's too difficult, we think. But it's important uh, to get in touch with that, that desire. So let's do that for a moment. Let's close our eyes and get in touch with our desire to know the highest, to know the truth, our desire to know who we really are, our desire to become everything 
that we can and should be, our desire to know God, our desire to know joy and peace. Just get in touch with that and feel that, gently feel that aspiration and that desire. You can feel healthy chemicals flow into you as you connect with that. That's the action of the Shakti. <clears throat> and he, and Aurobindo says, yet it's only when surrender is complete that the full flood of sadhana is possible. Till then, there must be personal effort with an increasing reality of surrender. So when there's full surrender, then the, the higher power flows into you. And it doesn't, at the beginning, it's fitful. You, may, you never experience, suddenly you get in touch with it. We call that Shaktipat. First time you encounter it, we say, oh, this is higher power. And then you think, oh, I'm enlightened. And then you lose it. Oh my God, what happened? Somehow it went away. Well, there are reasons that you lost it, and the reasons are always somewhere hidden in your psyche, some egotistical movement, some fear, desire, whatever it is, is there. And then you have to practice and reconnect with it. Then you connect with it and you say, oh, now I've certainly got it. And it's mine. And then it goes away again. And you freak out and you run around and you look for it again. Um, but gradually as you, as you grow, you can, the connection becomes stronger and stronger until finally you live in that power. You live in that place. Orbindo <clears throat> says, one calls in the power of the divine shakti, and once that begins to come into the being, it at first supports the personal endeavor, that is the sadhana, the practice, and progressively takes over the whole action, although the consent of the seeker continues to be always necessary. So you call on the power, and it always needs you to agree to it, to want it to call on it. You have to cooperate with it. And then it, then it works. The consent. This is, what is he talking about here? Attitude. The attitude has to be right. The focus, the priorities have to be right. Cherish your awakening. You have to have that attitude. You know, very often we put other things ahead of this knowledge of the self. Very human thing to do. But spiritually, it's not very good. It's disastrous, in fact. So we have to keep remembering the highest and keep going back to it. He says, uh, as the force works, it brings in the different processes that are necessary for the seeker, processes of knowledge, of devotion, of spiritualized action, of transformation of one's nature. The idea that they cannot be combined is an error, that all these types of yogas uh, is an error. So, so as uh, you grow in the force, then whatever is necessary to happen inside and outside happens. Whatever you need to deal with in your life, that comes up so that you can handle it, so that the shakti, the energy, uh, flows well. So that's his integral yoga. Devotion, knowledge, and works. Very similar to what Gurdjieff taught which is that we're three-tiered beings. 
We have a, a moving center, an emotional center, an intellectual center, or we call it in ashram parlance, we're uh, vital, we're peculiar, and we're solid. And these three things together, and they have to work in harmony with each other. <clears throat> How are we doing? A couple on, on, on uh, silence. Very serious, isn't it, Dorabindo? Huh? David Ma calls him big brain. He's very brilliant. He, he wrote volumes, volumes about uh, yoga, and he wrote an epic poem. Nobody writes epic poems. After John Milton, nobody wrote epic poems, but Aurobindo did. It's called Savitri, a long epic poem. Um, and so he's a, a real, uh, what do they call it? A, what do they call that? A uni what do they call that? The word for it? Uh, a universal... A polymath, polymath, yeah. <clears throat> so, so, um, so these these are relevant because the the uh, Vigyan Bharava talks about the void, uh, which means the silence. Patanjali says, "Yoga chitta vritti niroda." To the essence of meditation is to still the mind. So when you come to meditation, everyone's talking about stilling the mind. Um, the Vigyan Bharva talks about getting into the void, which actually means not the emptiness, um, but the quietness, the stillness, where, where there aren't thoughts arising, the stillness. <clears throat> so Orbindo talks about that. Uh, one of his devotees wrote, what do you mean by silence? And he says, and he makes a very good distinction here. Aurobindo says, silence is always good, but I do not mean by quietness of mind entire silence. And this used to really bug me when I started meditating because I thought I, thought I was in the war with my thoughts and I wanted to have no thoughts. I imagined that a great being like Bhagwan Nityananda never had a thought in his mind. He was a body walking around and there was no mind in there, never had a thought. Well, that's not the truth. That's not the way it really is. But I thought that, and I thought every time a thought arose in meditation, it was horrible, and I wanted to strangle my mind. I really literally thought about strangling my mind by force, and sometimes I would just force my uh, mind, my third eye, to close down, uh, but it always attacked me. As soon as I wasn't looking, it beat me up with a flood of horrible negativity. Uh, so you have to approach it more subtly than that. So he says he doesn't mean entire silence. I mean a mind free from disturbance and trouble, steady, light, and glad, and so to be open to the force, the shakti, that will transform your nature. So it means what I call now the clear space of good feeling. doesn't mean that thoughts can't play in there. But it means there should be uh, peaceful, calm emotions and a quiet mind. Then, then the mind becomes useful. Even Bhagwan Nityananda had a mind. He had to think, you know, do I want coffee this morning or tea? Usually he said coffee. But you have to, you have, to have a mind to function in the world. So he means to keep the mind 
non-toxic, balanced, peaceful. When it's in that state, when it's not lots of neurotic things, we all know what terrible worry is like. We all know what obsessional anger is like. We all know what burning jealousy is like. We know what all those states are. They're toxic states. In those states, we can't connect with that higher energy. But when we're peaceful, then the energy can work. He says, uh, the important thing is to get rid of the habit of the invasion of troubling thoughts, wrong feelings, confusion of ideas, unhappy movements. These disturb you and make it more difficult for the force to work. Get rid of this, these toxic elements. When the mind is quiet and at peace, the force can work more easily. It should be possible to see things that have to be changed in you without being upset or depressed. Then change is more easily done. That's really interesting. That's a side issue, saying that when, you, when you're working on yourself, when you're growing, you might see something that's not very attractive in you, some quality that you want to get rid of. Like suppose uh, a, f a feeling of feeling sorry for yourself. Suppose a jealousy that comes up, some, f some emotion like that. And when you see that, you, you get very depressed and say, oh my God, I'll never get over this. But he's saying, no, you should be able just to see that and say, okay, I've got to deal with that calmly. <clears throat> okay. A uh, couple more. We have some dharnas in there. The, uh, the writer says, how do I stop thinking then? How do I quiet the mind? And Orbindo says, if you try to apply everything you read, there'll be no end to your new beginnings. So stop reading everything on yoga, trying this, trying that. So one can stop thinking, and he gives a bunch of different ways. By rejecting thoughts, and in the silence discover oneself. So this is modern Vigyan Bharava. This is, and it's Patanjali. Sit quietly, and when thoughts come up, just get rid of them. In fact, Aurobindo did a dharana where he would create a wall around his mind and he'd keep thoughts outside. I always thought that was funny. I always thought thoughts came from inside, but I tried it and it worked also. You feel like you're in creating a fortress and the thoughts are attacking you from outside. Uh, he says one can do it by letting the, it's another way, letting the thoughts run down while one detaches oneself from them. So you just sit and let the mind quiet down. If you don't feed the mind by obsessing, it eventually quiets down, gets bored. The program doesn't have enough juice in it. But if you keep going, and yeah, that's right, they did this to me and they did that to me, then you feed it and it keeps going. He says, there are a number of other ways, and he, he refers to something that somebody wrote him about a book by Paul Brunton, he says, uh, where he says, you separate yourself from the body, the vital, the mind, and through discrimination, you say, I am not the body, I am not the mind. And he gets, the, he gets to the self separate from the mind and body. That's also a way of doing it. I'm not the mind, this is a dharana. I am not the mind, I'm not the body. And you sit with that. 
You take the dharana, you take a thought, uh, a bhavana, a contemplation, and you let that work in your inner being. And then it takes you to an experience. He says, uh, there's also the separation of the purusha from the prakriti, the subject from the object, the self from the other, uh, until one becomes the witness only and feels separate from all the activities. There are other methods also. So all these are different methods. Which one of those would you like to do? We'll do one. Well, you can do one now. All right, let me... Davy Ma, what do you like of those? I didn't hear them. I was in meditation. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me... Who's doing the dharana? Which dharana? Whichever one. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Uh, what did you say? What are the choices? I don't I'll remember. Tell you which one I was doing if you tell me the choices. <laughs> okay. Uh, rejecting thoughts and sitting in the silence. Um, letting the thoughts run down and be detached. Saying, I'm not the body. They're all kind of intellectual processes, but they're good. I was just sitting in the cell. Okay, let's do that. Just for a moment, we won't, this, we'll continue on, but just for a moment, you're sitting in the self and your mind is rattling somewhere. Somewhere in the upper body, isn't it? Where's your mind? In your upper body, towards the head? Huh? Do you have a mind? Is your mind in your head? Tell me. I like no. to. What? <laughs> no, it's in the heart. Oh, yes. Your mind in your heart or your body or your head? How many think the mind is in the head? How many think the mind's in the heart? I won't ask you any other questions. It could be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just sit as the self and let the mind run. Just be a little detachment, just for a moment. Just observe the mind, watch it from a distance. Okay, now, before we leave the mind, say, I want you to praise the mind. Everyone needs some praise. Everyone needs some positive reinforcement. So tell your mind, Oh, my mind, you've very done a very good job all my life. Very good. I'm very happy with you. And say, please, think good thoughts. Think positive thoughts. Think well of me. Think well of others. Think positively about my life. You're a very good mind. Baba taught me that you could speak to the mind and it responded. It's quite remarkable. <clears throat> okay, one more, one more little one. Can you do one more? Oh, about, it's also a bunch of dharnas in this about, about getting into the, the inner silence. Another devotee says, how do you get into the silence? How do you meditate, in other words? Aurobindo says, it's not easy to get into the silence. That is only possible by throwing out mental vital activities. 
It's not easy, you know, because you have to throw out all the stuff that's always clattering your mind. He says it's easier to let the silence descend into you, to open yourself and let it descend. The way to do this and the way to call down the higher powers is the same. It is to remain quiet at the time of meditation, not fighting with the mind, nor making mental efforts to pull down the power or the silence, but keeping only a silent will and aspiration for them. So this is, he's recommending this. Instead of fighting the mind, which is certainly what I did in my early days of meditation, I described that already, struggling with the mind. Instead, you just remain quiet and you call down that higher power. Call down the shakti, call down the self. I, uh, what I like to do, so I share this with you, I just think of my guru. That's as simple as what I do, very simple. You don't need a PhD for that. I just think of my guru and that somehow magically connects me to that shakti. And so I don't struggle with the mind. Let the mind be over there. I just point it towards that higher power. Well, let's do that for a moment. <clears throat> so open yourself to the shakti, to the higher energy, however you understand it or know it. Just open yourself now and let that come in. If you observe very closely, you'll see that you, get, you have an experience of it in some way or other, as light, as love, as energy, different ways. It's very important to observe that, because that's the way the shakti, the divine power, shows up to you, and you should get to know that power. There's nothing more worth knowing than that power, and get to know that power very well. All right, we'll go on with, he says, <clears throat> if the mind is active, one has to learn to look at it drawn back, not giving any sanction from within until its habitual or mechanical activities begin to fall quiet for one of support from within. You don't support the neuroses of the mind. We're trained, unfortunately, to support the negative movements of the mind. We feed it, we keep rehashing it. If it's too persistent, a steady rejection without strain or struggle is the one thing to be done. Now notice he says without strain or struggle, it means calmly. He always emphasized that. Not to get into a war, just let things go. Be good to yourself. Be kind to your mind, be kind to yourself. And just clear the deck so that that higher power, which is beyond your control, but you can open to, can come in. So he's, in a way, a, a modern Vigyan Bhairava, isn't he? Great techniques. All right, well, let's meditate. David Mo, what do you think of that? Wonderful. Which one did you like best there? Uh, well, I naturally uh, just go to my heart. 
Everything comes up from my heart. Do you open to it or you just go to it? You have to find you have to find what works for you. I think that's one one of the uh, uh, the messages of the Vigyan Bharava is that it's not to learn every method; it's to discover through examining them which works for you. And after a while, you find your own methodless method, which means when you sit to meditate, you go inside and you don't even think about it, you just get in touch with that power. That power is within you. It has a place somewhere inside you. And you have to learn the art of just connecting with it. When we think about yesterday, today, our ambitions, our fears, our plans, our relationships, and this and that, we go to different areas within the mansion of yourself. You're in different rooms, you're different departments. But when you go to the self, you're going to an, an, a different department than that. And you have to focus on that place. And if you spend some time in that room, then you grow spiritually. Extraordinary things happen. So let's meditate now. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. And uh, in one of those dharnas that Aurobindo gave, make that connection. It's within the capacity of every person because that inner self, that inner power, is everyone's birthright. It's everyone's true identity. So calmly go within, get in touch with that power in your own unique way. And so we'll meditate for 10 minutes on the self. If you like, you can use the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, as a way of quieting the mind, getting in touch with the self. So once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgunat Maharaj. <laughs>